Hi, I'm Kate from Chisago City, Minnesota, a student pharmacist from South Dakota State University in Brookings, South Dakota. Hi, I'm Kayla from Gonzales, Louisiana, a student pharmacist from the University of Mississippi in Jackson. You're listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Suzanne Nesbitt and Dr. Lucas Hill. Dr. Nesbitt is a clinical pharmacy specialist at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, and president of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Dr. Hill is clinical assistant professor at the University of Texas at Austin and principal investigator of the Texas-targeted opioid response overdose prevention project. I'm Lily Van, a PGY1 community pharmacy resident. And I'm Megan Brown. We're from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. Today, we are talking about opioids and safety, how patients use them, and how we as pharmacists have a role in protecting the patient while still allowing safe use of these drugs. Our guests today are Dr. Suzanne Nesbitt, and one of her many roles include being a clinical specialist in pain management and palliative care at the Johns Hopkins Hospital, and Dr. Lucas Hill, a clinical assistant professor at the University of Texas at Austin College of Pharmacy and director of Operation Naloxone. Thank you, Suzanne and Lucas, for joining us today. We're really glad to chat with you. Thank you, Lily and Megan. I'm excited for the opportunity to discuss such an important topic and one that I believe pharmacists can play such a vital role in patient care. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and to discuss this issue alongside Dr. Nesbitt. Great. So let's get started. So let's talk about safety and opioids. When I was in pharmacy school and the opioid epidemic seemed to be a topic that came up time and time again, I felt that learning about the opioid crisis and trying to grasp how large of an impact this issue was, I really felt moved to want to do something. So as a pharmacy student, I decided to base my research project on opioid rescue treatment and patient perception of pharmacists providing naloxone therapy. And one thing I realized through this experience was that safety is a theme that patients and pharmacists are hungry for. They want to know what they can do to protect their patients, their children, their spouses, their friends. Now, I know this just really touches the surface of of thinking about pharmacists and opioid safety. So Suzanne and Lucas, what are your thoughts on the work and scope of safety as it relates to opioids in our current healthcare landscape? Well, there are so many opportunities to impact opiate safety and really ensure optimal patient care. One approach is addressing the opioid crisis and all the ongoing efforts through our stewardship model, much like our colleagues in infectious disease and that antibiotic stewardship model. Uh, The tenets are very similar when we think about commitment to action, about policy and practice, tracking and reporting, and really ensuring education and expertise. Here at the Johns Hopkins Health System, we've adopted the approach of opiate stewardship and are following the National Quality Forum's Opiate Stewardship Playbook. Our different work groups are approaching these issues by several different avenues and initiatives. For example, developing opiate prescribing guidelines that will be disseminated throughout our EMR and throughout the health system and ensuring that our providers have metrics on their 
median MME or morphine equivalents per opiate prescription, and their rate of co-prescribing naloxone in their patient population. We've ad- identified and developed patient education materials for the safe use, storage, and disposal of opiates. We also have identified naloxone as a key education initiative for our patients. The opiate education and naloxone patient education materials are automatically generated if these medications are prescribed for the patient. We have also developed alerts that patients who meet criteria for naloxone prescribing, our providers are then getting an alert that this patient would benefit from having a naloxone prescription if they have not already had one prescribed and filled. These are just a few examples of the deliverables that our health system is really trying to embrace through the opiate stewardship clinical community. I think what Dr. Nesbitt describes is a very responsible approach to opioid stewardship, and a number of institutions are moving in that direction after seeing some unfortunate population-level consequences of reductions in opioid prescribing. So uh, it's important to keep in perspective the relative contribution of prescription opioids to our current epidemic. And while from 1999 to 2008, overdose uh, deaths due to prescription opioids quadrupled right alongside those prescribing rates quadrupling. Um, What we've seen since that time is that opioid prescriptions have actually been decreasing while overall overdose deaths go up. Uh, The reason seems to be that people, not necessarily who were receiving those opioid prescriptions themselves, but who were buying them on the street or stealing them, uh, were the ones who were developing a physical dependence or opioid use disorder. And when those prescription opioids became more scarce, they moved to a dangerous illicit market. That underlying physical dependence and, and opioid use disorder didn't just go away. Unfortunately, the availability of evidence-based addiction treatment and harm reduction programs did not magically appear overnight as that prescribing decreased. So what we saw was a tripling in heroin overdoses from 2010 to 2013, and now an overdose crisis that is primarily driven by ultra-potent illicit fentanyls inside of the heroin market. Um, So what I would recommend is that pharmacy students and pharmacists need to be aware of harm reduction approaches in addition to stewardship approaches. Getting naloxone out there is step one, but alongside this increase in opioid overdose death has been an increase in injection-related harms like hepatitis C, HIV, and hepatitis B, which could be prevented if pharmacists were more willing to uh, provide sterile syringes and appropriate injection technique education for people who aren't ready to quit yet. Uh, So I think we need to open our minds as to the possibilities uh, for how pharmacists could be involved in addressing the opioid crisis. I definitely think that there is a variety of approaches that we could use. And so if you guys will just maybe touch on maybe some big picture safety strategies that could be employed by pharmacists when caring for patients who use opioids. Well, I, th- I think pharmacists are really the optimal healthcare professional to engage patients in the appropriate way to use their, their opiate medications that they've been prescribed. 
So in terms of the bigger picture and really caring for patients who are using opiates, engaging our patients in their understanding of why they were prescribed opiates, in particular the intended length of therapy and what their goals of therapy are and how they match or maybe misalign with what the healthcare team is intending. Particularly the new Joint Commission pain standards speak to patient engagement in their own pain treatment plan and really helping the patient establish realistic expectations. And then very practical items related to their opiate therapy. Where are they storing their medications uh, when they're at home? What are the risks of opiate therapy? Uh, How can they dispose of their opiates once they have finished using them and perhaps they have not used all of their opiates? And what we're finding is particularly with post-surgical opiate prescribing, the vast majority of medications that have been dispensed are going unused. And colleagues here at Johns Hopkins really looked at patients' understanding of what to do with those leftover opiates. And most are keeping them, not storing them securely, and really don't know how to dispose of them. So advising patients where they can dispose of opiates, either through take-back days or uh, that are sponsored through the DEA or through police or fire departments, and then pharmacies that may have medication disposal bins or offer neutralization and disposal kits. I think there are some key areas where pharmacists can really engage patients on the safe use of their opiates. I absolutely agree. Uh, I think it's important that we follow CDC guidelines for prescribing opioids and try to limit the number of patients who are on extremely high doses and limit the number of new patients who are exposed to chronic opioid therapy. But some patients are going to need chronic opioids and some are going to be on extremely high doses. I think it's important that pharmacists know the fact that a patient is on 100 or 110 milligram morphine equivalents per day does not necessarily mean that that dose has to be reduced. Uh, And reducing it too quickly could cause severe harm and has driven some patients anecdotally to suicide or to the street for relief of their pain. So we don't want to take a top-down approach. It really needs to be patient-specific. Without knowing everything about that patient's history, I think many times the best way that a pharmacist can intervene is to ensure that they have naloxone at home and that they know how to use it. Every single state in the U.S. and the District of Columbia have passed some form of naloxone access legislation, and the vast majority of these include an allowance for pharmacists to dispense naloxone under a standing order or some other mechanism. Some states have issued statewide standing orders that you can just search for online, tack on the wall, and start dispensing naloxone at your own discretion. Uh, Pennsylvania is a good example. Uh, Unfortunately, many states have not created that situation, so uh, individual chains or pharmacies need to find a physician or other prescriber who will delegate their authority through a standing order. Once you have a standing order in place, you need to know which patients to reach out to. So being aware of those CDC guidelines, understanding high-risk patient populations, and just being knowledgeable about the various forms of naloxone that are available is really important. 
uh, I, I cringe every time that I hear a community advocate went into a pharmacy and asked to get naloxone and we're told we don't have it in stock or I can't give that to you without a prescription uh, when I know that's not the case. Um, it's very it's unfortunate, I think, that as pharmacists, in some instances, we're missing the boat on this important opportunity to save lives. So I think those are great points that you both bring up about caring for the patient and some of the big picture drivers and strategies. Um, bringing up naloxone standing orders is something that's extremely relevant and a reality that I'm sure many of our listeners hear about or know about in their practice sites. I'm sure some of our listeners would also really be interested in what you're doing at your own practice site or in your own organizations. So, Lucas, I know you just brought up state-specific naloxone standing orders, and Suzanne, you mentioned looking at MMEs as it relates to stewardship tenants. So what are some other tools available to assist pharmacists in helping patients to use opioids safely? Is there anything you would both suggest for practicing pharmacists out there? One tool that I use almost on a daily basis in my clinical practice, both inpatient and outpatient, is the PDMP or the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. This can be a really helpful tool in assessing a patient's history with opiates and other controlled substances. It can be helpful when I'm completing a medication reconciliation or a medication review when I'm meeting a patient. Uh, it's helpful because sometimes patients, as we all know, many of our patients are on several different medications, and often it can help in medication identification as sometimes patients are unable to recall all of their analgesics or all of their medications. Some states, uh, my state, Maryland, for one, have mandated that providers and or pharmacists review the PDMP information before prescribing or dispensing a controlled substance. This can be very helpful. However, there are challenges. The PDMPs are really managed on a state level, and there is a lack of interoperability across the country. For example, I can access and view controlled substances from a select few states in the region, but I cannot see if medications and opiates or other controlled substances were filled uh, across the country by a particular patient. Also, there are uh, some states and that are engaging with predictive analysis techniques to try to proactively identify patients that may be at risk and allow clinicians to respond in a more proactive and timely fashion. I think this is a very promising tool that could be used uh, with the PDMP data to really help us uh, identify patients and hopefully uh, avert any untoward consequences from their opiate use or their other controlled substances. I agree that prescription monitoring programs have incredible potential to be public health tools, but I'm going to be kind of negative for a second and point out that a recent systematic review uh, by Fink and colleagues demonstrated that while these programs do appear to be associated with a decreased risk for overdose deaths due to prescription opioids, they're also likely correlated with an increased risk of death from illicit opioids. So we should use prescription monitoring programs, but we need to think really carefully about what we do when they flag problematic patterns of drug use. Uh, I know that 
at working in a pharmacy as a student. Uh, that was the way that I received education about prescription monitoring programs. I watched selective use of them by pharmacists who uh, certainly through no no malintention, but just through some of the implicit biases that we have, we're more likely to check the prescription monitoring program for certain patient demographics. Um, so certain patients are more likely to be identified as having problematic substance use and then looked at their role mostly as a gatekeeper to say, I am not going to fill this prescription. This is invalid. You are not welcome to, to get this medication here in this pharmacy. And instead, that interaction could be turned into a positive turning point for that patient. That could be the moment that they get naloxone to have at home. That could be the moment that they get a key referral to a provider in the community who prescribes evidence-based medications like methadone or buprenorphine for opioid use disorder. Um, so we need to think about how we respond and try to build better educational systems for our students and continuing education for practicing pharmacists so that those can be productive conversations instead of possibly negative conversations that lead to more harm for the, the patient. Based on my experience as a pharmacy resident in Pittsburgh, completing a naloxone co-prescribing program in a family medicine residency, I developed some materials for use, and along with input and funding from the Texas Health and Human Services Commission, that's how we developed Operation Naloxone. So if you go to operationnaloxone.org, you'll see some uh, peer-reviewed materials to assist you in identifying patients who need naloxone and uh, facilitating what may be a somewhat difficult conversation with a patient about their risk. Uh, so I hope that you'll take a chance to, to check out the website, the patient-facing materials, as well as the continuing education that's available for pharmacists. There's a video demonstrating proper administration of every version of naloxone. So uh, you certainly could become quite expert and confident in dispensing naloxone by looking at those resources. Lucas, I think you bring up a great point. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's a great uh, resource or tool that pharmacists could use. And I agree that sometimes that can be a difficult conversation for a pharmacist to have with a patient, especially when you have a suspicion that they may be suffering from substance abuse disorder. So I know you said that it was negative, but honestly, I think it definitely turns into a, a positive spin in that it's an opportunity for you to approach the patient and definitely having those tools and resources that you mentioned will definitely help pharmacists be able to facilitate that conversation because sometimes people just aren't sure where to start. Yes, I definitely agree, Megan. I know for me personally, as a recently licensed pharmacist, just hearing about all of this is kind of hard. And I'm sure this is the same for many of my colleagues to really just eat this elephant, so to say. Um, we mentioned several different strategies healthcare providers are integrating to address opioid abuse and safety. So what is the first step in getting patients involved with safety and opioid use? I think that you pose the question perfectly as far as how do we get patients involved. And I would say the first step is just to start talking to them to not be afraid to ask open-ended questions about how they feel about their opioid therapy or uh, what they know about naloxone. And that those types of positive interactions can occur at a pharmacy counter or in a clinic setting. There are now multiple studies demonstrating that 
patients who are uh, offered naloxone co-prescriptions believe it should be the standard of care, that they, after having those interactions with a provider, uh, feel more comfortable discussing their opioid use and their risk for overdose with that provider. So uh, it's not a topic that is going to alienate a patient as long as you approach it in a compassionate and thoughtful way. Some excellent points in regards to really remembering that we're, we're, we need to talk to our patients and we need to treat them as individuals, that there will be patients that come to us that have an excellent reason to need opiate therapy, and we need to look at that patient comprehensively. I think we also have to be particularly mindful of patients with substance use disorder and how we can ensure their care, particularly if they're on medication-assisted therapy and they also now have a painful condition, for, for example, post-surgical, how can we ensure that their pain is optimally treated? Because at the end of the day, we want to ensure our patients are receiving opiates appropriately to achieve all the goals that both the patient and the healthcare team have. I love that point. Just being able to approach our patients, like you said, in a thoughtful and compassionate way, especially being attuned to the fact that our patients who use opioids might feel already that they're being put into a particular box. So making sure that we are being open-minded, that we are approaching it from a place of positive energy, and we're making sure that we are taking care of the patient to provide optimal care. So some of the key messages I think we've highlighted during this episode include recognizing what we can do for our patients as far as equipping them with the right tools to be successful when using opioids, like having access to naloxone and educating them on safe disposal and storage. I think other important points brought up by both Suzanne and Lucas include tools available to healthcare providers as we learn to care for our patients on opioid medications. So whether this is through the awareness of harm reduction strategies with naloxone or the provision of sterile syringes or even stewardship tenants in prescribing, so like the commitment of action, tracking, reporting, education, um, but more importantly, having discussions with the patient about realistic expectations in therapy and keeping the patient at the center of care at all times. So thank you guys so much. This has been such a dynamic conversation. And thank you guys for being on our show today. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. If you like this podcast, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app. And tell all of your pharmacy friends and colleagues. Be sure to rate us and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a story you'd like to share about someone who's transforming knowledge into action, send us an email. Pharmacy Forward is produced by the Division of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. For more information about our professional development programs, visit pharmacycpd.org. That's pharmacycpd.org. This episode was conceived and developed by Ha Fan, Alex Mills, Megan Brown, Lori Fleming, Josh Fleming, and Stuart Haynes.